The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Right, a very good morning to Scorebox. We've got Jeff Cutmore down at Downing Street, of course, covering the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Karen Cho, of course, uh, holding the fort in London, and myself just returned from Milan. These are your headlines. Uh, Russia's Gazprom claiming Siemens Energy needs to carry out repairs before it can resume Nord Stream 1 gas flows to Europe. Uh, The EU reportedly recommending a cap on gas prices. As the CEO of Spanish energy giant Energas tells CNBC, Russia's move will only reinforce Europe's determination to cut ties. This reinforces Europe's uh, determination to stop the dependence on Russian's hydrocarbons as early as possible. Morning all. All change here in Downing Street. Then Boris Johnson expected to speak later this morning to say goodbye after spending his last night here at number 10. And then, of course, Liz Truss becomes the next Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. The Reserve Bank of Australia hikes rates by 50 basis points, its fifth move higher since May, as it grapples with surging price pressures. Meanwhile, OPEC and its allies eased output to fraction, announcing a largely symbolic production cut of 100,000 barrels per day from October, reversing this month's hike. Morning, Karen. How are you? Good morning. Nice to see you. Everybody. Yeah, it's nice to be back. I got back a little bit late last night, so I'm going to be very well behaved today. I'm just going to stick to the rundown, see how it goes, you know, and just leave you and Jeff to do uh, all the heavy lifting, if you don't mind. Yes, um, right, so let's get into up. the top story. Gazprom says the resumption of gas supplies through Russia's Nord Stream 1 pipeline. Hinge, hang on a second. Hinges on Siemens Energy repairing an oil leak in one of the turbines. So the resumption of power... OK, Okay, let's carry on. Siemens Energy said on Saturday it had not been contacted to carry out repairs and that a leak of the described scale should not typically affect overall operation. Right, okay, I can't do this. I I can't read the full rundown until I've got this off my chest. That's nonsense. (laughs) Yeah? We're all grown up here. Mr Peskov, Siemens Energy, Europe's customers, you and me, the viewers. We're all pretty grown up most of the time, yeah? Should we just start calling it how it is? It's nothing to do with a broken piece of equipment, is it? Don't take my word for it. Danny Peskov yesterday, if anyone's close to Mr. Putin and the Kremlin and what's actually going on, this is what Peskov... Can we just stop saying it's about a broken pump, yeah? This is what Peskov said yesterday. His words, not mine. The problems pumping gas came about because of the sanctions of Western countries. Nothing to do with a pump. Introduced against our country and several companies. There are no other reasons that could have caused this pumping problem. So should we just get to the truth of this? It's nothing to do with a broken piece of equipment. Siemens hasn't been contacted. Siemens said this kind of problem, if it was a problem, would not cause the whole thing to shut down. I'll say it one more time. This is Peskov talking. This is the Kremlin's number one spokesperson. The problems pumping gas came about because of the sanctions of Western countries introduced against our country and several companies. There are no other reasons that could have caused this pumping problem. Right, we've got that off our chest now. It's nothing to do with the 
pump, right? It sounds highly technical when it is put into some sort of geopolitical speak, right? But if we come back again to the Siemens language, they're talking about it being routine maintenance, effectively a procedure that can happen, be sealed on site. It sounds like something even you and I might be able to uh, achieve between no, us. No, you may be. I, I, <laughs> I can't do that. But look, it was these sanctions that Western governments introduced which brought the situation to what we now see. That is Mr. Peskov. Look, we can, we can have the dispute as long as we want with the Russians, but the fact of the matter is it's nothing to do with the pump. So let's just stop pretending, OK, everybody? All right, we'll move on. I got it off my chest. Uh, Brussels is recommending an EU-wide cap on gas prices, according to a document seen by the Financial Times. The emergency proposals come ahead of an extraordinary meeting of energy officials this week and as EU officials accuse the Kremlin of weaponising energy. France is ready to send gas to Germany if needed in exchange for electricity going the other way. Details of the quid pro quo arrangement will be fleshed out in the coming weeks, according to the German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who said France would require additional help from its neighbours because of technical issues with its nuclear power plants. The French President Emmanuel Macron hailed the agreement as a show of European solidarity as he called for a 10% reduction in the country's energy use in coming weeks. Germany needs our gas, and we need the electricity produced in the rest of Europe, and in particular from Germany. Why? This has nothing to do with the conflict in Russia, but it is linked to a short-term phenomenon where today the nuclear power plants in France are faced with technical challenges that have led the supervisor and the Nuclear Safety Authority to request EDF to perform maintenance on them. So we have more nuclear power plants which are under maintenance than expected. It adds to the problem I talked about earlier, so therefore we produce less electricity in France than expected, and this is why we need European solidarity. Germany is temporarily delaying the phasing out of nuclear energy. The country's two remaining working power nuclear power plants, which were due to shut down this year, will be kept staffed and operational, ready to produce electricity as emergency backup until at least the middle of next year. Germany's economy and energy minister, Robert Habeck, explained the rationale behind the policy shift. We should preserve this option after the end of the regular operating life of the nuclear power plants to transfer the two southern German nuclear power plants to a reserve so that they can be used again or can continue to be used if the situation dictates. We won't get rid of this option. That's a decision to be weighed up because, I said before, it's a high-risk technology that should end operations at the end of the year. But this is both a defensible and necessary decision. I must say we have been asking those questions for weeks and weeks and weeks about the future of nuclear in Germany. It seemed like the writing was on the wall when it came to that one. And meantime, Woodside agreed a deal with Uniper to supply one billion cubic metres of LNG per year to Europe. The Australian Petroleum Group will start supplying natural gas in January and could continue to do so until 2039. Centrica is reportedly in talks to secure additional funding to help with collateral payments. That's according to the Financial Times, which says the owner of British Gas is seeking billions of pounds in short-term financing as it prepares for a potential worsening in the energy situation. The move could add pressure on incoming Prime Minister Liz Truss to help the sector ahead of winter. A quick look at uh, the uh, various different prices we're seeing across on the wholesale price. Uh, this is uh, the extent of it, 16.5% higher on the UK wholesale 
gas price, Dutch wholesale gas prices popping 17 and a half percent. So over the course of the three months now, we're looking at a price that has soared 194 percent, which does tell you the challenges for the sector, for utilities companies, but also the end customer businesses and retail consumers. And let's push on to the European markets, which reacted yesterday. We saw intraday uh, big swings lower for the stock market. Into the close, we managed to recapture some of this territory, enough so that the FTSE actually pushed positive. We're in the green by about a tenth of a percent. DAX still down heavily, 2.2% off, 1.2% down for the French market, 2% stripped off the Italian stock market, the FTSE MIB. And you can see uh, downward push too for the IBEX in Spain and the SMI in Zurich. But very dis- different markets as we talk about the reaction. Meantime, to the dollar, we did see a very strong foreign exchange reaction early on. Euro slumped below that 99 cent level. You can see pushing back up beyond that to 99 and a half, so up two tenths of a percent. Dollar is uh, on the front foot versus the Japanese yen, a little bit of weakness versus the pound. So we are looking at a slight recovery trade here. And don't forget, yesterday, pound two was worth watching. I know the euro is in the headlines as we travel to these 20-year uh, lows, but the prop underneath the pound was very small. Uh, as we spoke about the 114 handle, it would have taken us right back to the 80s if we breached some of those levels. But we are back up to 115.62 this morning. And of course, big news around Liz Trust yesterday. The uh, US dollar is weaker versus the Swissy at this stage. But uh, just circling back to where we started around the reaction across Europe yesterday, I think it was worthwhile noting that some of the confidence around Germany restoring some of the storage levels in recent days. I mean, that had been a catalyst. You didn't see that in, in the reaction on day one, but it was a slow build, I think, where you saw the market get behind that story and you saw the DAX start to rally over the course of last week. That was just really taken off the table yesterday. Let's just, just, I always like to strip these stories down to a level that I can understand. I'm probably the least erudite of anyone understanding the nuances of complex power and wholesale markets. But what I do understand is if you've got a seller who will only sell it at a certain price or above, and you've got a buyer who will only buy the product at a certain price or below, then you need a third party to make some form of intervention to bridge the gap between the two as well. And that, unfortunately, uh, is you, Karen. Uh, and me, uh, and just about every other consumer out there. The governments may pretend it's them doing it, but it's actually us. We are the taxpayers and our children and our grandchildren. They are the ones who ultimately got to pay. So if there's any intervention in middle of the price that the, the seller will only sell it here or there, and the buyer will only buy it there or there, then it has to be the government and it has to be the taxpayer. And I think it's as simple as that. I don't out- see otherwise how this is going to happen. Good morning, Mr. Cutmore. You're at the seat of government in the United Kingdom. I presume we do have a government in this interregnum period. Yes, I think we do, Steve. I mean, look, the civil service structure here is, uh, I think, sufficiently good enough to keep the ship of state afloat. There will be some interesting developments here, obviously, uh, but most of it's um, procedural and already well telegraphed. But ultimately, what we're waiting on, aren't we, is to hear what the uh, UK government's approach will be to this um, energy cap story. And of course, all the speculation is that we'll get an announcement on Thursday and maybe a suspension of bills or a freezing of bills until, uh, what, some four months later. I think four months is the is the time frame that's being discussed here just to ease immediate pain. But as you pointed out, Steve, at some stage, somebody has to bear the cost. So whether it's individual consumers or whether it's the taxpayer at large, we will all end up paying for this higher energy at some point. 
Coming back to, to, to the issue that you were discussing as you were getting off your chest this question of uh, Siemens and, um, uh, and the Russians, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, it is pretty clear here what we've got is a political game of chess. The only thing that struck me, I think, in that announcement was that now the Russians have very clearly admitted that the sanctions regime is starting to have an impact because the minute they come to the table and start trying to negotiate some relaxation of sanctions uh, as a quid pro quo for turning on the gas back through Nord Stream 1, then you know all the huff, puff and bluff about no, 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 the sanctions are not hurting us is actually not true. I think we can see from this attempt to try and link these two issues together that ultimately now we are seeing some impact on the Russian economy and they don't like it. We are still waiting, of course, for the United States to open up for trade. We had uh, Labor Day yesterday, and I think at this point we've seen some of the disappointment across European markets. The question is how much of this touches the sides when it comes to the American market and the psychology around global growth at this point. I think uh, the other parts here, really the consumer, how does the consumer respond? We've been looking at the business lens, but the consumer is going to feel the pain, and we keep talking about prices, how much they're going up here. And I think what that means is the headlines are going to be filled with various stories about how to cut back on gas and electricity over the coming months. I think we're going to learn a lot about the energy market. And as we talk about an energy transition with the consumer having to cut back at some point, I think that this is going to be a very big learning curve over winter. Some of it could be good news for the planet. Uh, some of it's going to be very tough for a lot of consumers. But I think we are going to be looking at the ins and outs of how much we use uh, gas heating, how much we use uh, the stove for. It's going to be very much a learning curve for the consumer. And I wonder what that means as we go to the shop. Because don't forget, during COVID, other priorities uh, Took the, took the fall. We were just trying to keep food on the table. We are trying to ensure we had basics if we had to queue at a supermarket. It's not changed the psychology. We've, we've clearly moved away from that. But now I wonder whether we go back into that psychology of making sure we have our essentials at this point. Yeah, ab absolutely. And, and you know what? I've said this before and I'll say it again. We're going to learn stuff that our grandmothers thought is incredible that we unlearned, i.e. you can have energy conservation. You do not need the radiators on full blast in every single room. And look, don't get me wrong, there are thousands if not mi no that's not right there are millions of people in northern europe and western europe who are going to be struggling on this and it's horrendous and it's a horrendous situation but that is the truth at the moment as well i'm just going to make a couple of points uh, the, the russians know what they're doing and they they're, they're grand master and chess but crashing i've made this point already this week and i'll say it again crashing the world economy and crashing the european economy uh, because of what they are doing in ukraine and then using uh, energy as a weapon which they didn't do during the cold war and i want jeff to just confirm that with me because i'm pretty sure that during the cold war the energy supply despite all of the uh, rancor between the west and russia and moscow and uh, uh, west and uh, washington dc they kept the energy supply going during the Cold War. Now, Putin's gone a stage further than Brezhnev. He's gone a stage further than Khrushchev. Gone a stage further than all of those Soviet Union leaders, the general secretaries of the Communist Party there as well. And so he is weaponizing. And that is very dangerous because the Germans especially, who have put pride in their rapprochement post-1945, in tightening those ties between Russia and Germany, thought the Russians would never do this, clearly because of their erroneous energy policy that we saw under a succession of chancellors, including, most famously, uh, Frau Merkel over the last 16 years before I left Scholz as well. So he's gone a stage further. A, trying to crash the world economy, which is actually a very dangerous thing to do. B, weaponizing energy. There are a whole host of customers 
who don't actually need, over the medium to long term, Russian gas, all right? There is other gas out there. There is vast amounts, but Europe can't tap it in enough quantities because it didn't build the infrastructure. But there are, cut, there are suppliers, I can assure you, massive suppliers in Eastern Mediterranean, whether it's Egypt, whether it's a whole host of countries looking in and fighting, to be fair, over it, including Turkey and Greece, over the vast amount of supplies in areas such as Leviathan and what have you. So there is a lot of product. It's just going to take a long time for Europe to get it. So is Europe going to have a, a huge problem over the next two years, enormous problems, enormous. And it's a disaster for the European economy and potentially the world economy. But will those customers ever want to go back to Russia? Will they ever want to go back to Russia? I think a lot of them won't. Jeff, just confirm that point to me. I'm pretty sure during the Cold War, from my reading, no matter what rancor there was between the West uh, and Russia, West and Soviet Union, I should say, those suppliers kept going, didn't they? No, absolutely. Uh, and I think um, all the way through, uh, the Russians have insisted that they are a regular partner, uh, a reliable partner when it comes to contract. And, and, and Steve, I think you make a, a terrific point there about the constancy of supply, even through the, the, the real lows that we saw through the Cold War period. So I think it is a departure from the past and it is an, an, an illustration that this is a very different Kremlin that the world is having to deal with at this stage. And of course, I think we're all uh, minded to think back to uh, Donald Trump's comments that uh, provoked um, gales of laughter among German politicians when he warned them about over-reliance on Russian energy. Well, you may not like the messenger, but I think now the Germans are having to come to terms with the message very painfully. Um, I think there is a bit of cognitive dissonance as well to come back to your point because obviously people don't want to bear the extra burden of the higher energy cost and there are there is this clamor for governments to provide some support whether that is uh, direct subsistence or whether that is a freezing of bills ultimately uh, the taxpayer will have to pick up the bill for this but just bear in mind the whole point, I think, of moving to net zero was that there should be a significant component of energy conservation. The whole point of pricing carbon was to discourage excessive consumption of uh, fuels that uh, emit um, obviously uh, noxious substances that we don't want in our atmosphere. So I think we do have to get the balance right and that is the trick that governments are going to have to uh, manage, particularly this government here in the UK. And um, Steve, as you know, Karen, you know, this is a country that actually is less reliant on Russian energy than Germany. We've had months where we haven't taken any Russian energy at all. We have uh, reasonable um, uh, progress in terms of renewables, whether that is wind or hydropower in Scotland. Uh, we also have a significant uptick in gas production in the North Sea, up something like 25-26% so far this year. So there are efforts being made to improve domestic sources of energy generation. And I just think that at the moment has to be the real focus. I think we all understand that the problem is that doesn't come quickly and there is a short-term issue here, but that short-term issue is one that is 
political in nature and will have to be managed by politicians. And I think also um, consumers are just going to have to be a little more patient and they're going to have to be a little more resilient, which, um, you know, I hate to say that's not a bad thing because I know a lot of people are going to have an awful lot of pain here, both consumers and businesses. But it is just a reminder that in all things, you can't rely on the certainty of the past. Uh, there is a lot of volatility and, you know, we work for CNBC, so we know an awful lot about the volatility that markets have experienced over recent uh, weeks and months here. And inevitably, I think that's going to continue for the energy markets as well at this stage. Back to you guys. Indeed, and we certainly saw it on those gas prices yesterday, Jeff. And let's get out to Hadley. She joins us from Gas Tech Conference in Milan. Hadley, you were having some terrific conversations yesterday and a self-interest, I think, coming to the fore for a lot of countries. They talk about energy security at this point. Absolutely, Karen. I spoke yesterday with the energy, former energy secretary for the Trump administration, and he said that the only answer to what is clearly a war um, on Europe's economy and, and future was to produce more energy. He said the United States has got it, but as Steve was just mentioning, the problem is actually getting it to the client, to the consumer, to Europe. I think it's very, very interesting what we're going to see going forward today. I actually had the chance to speak in an exclusive conversation with India's energy minister as well. And I said to him, listen, um, what about this price cap? You have to answer me now. Are you going to actually uh, get on board with what the G7 ministers are trying to do here, with what Europe is trying to do here in terms of a price cap for Russian oil? And he said, listen, we are looking at all of the options. But at the end of the day, my moral obligation is not um, to Europe. It's not to the West, it is to my consumers. Listen in. There are many conversations going on due to a large number of factors. There is a shortage of uh, supply. The demand is higher than the uh, supply. Uh, OPEC has today taken a decision to uh, uh, circumscribe its uh, own production by 100,000 barrels. There's a talk on the price cap. There are a lot of things. You know, we Apart from being a population of 1.4 billion, we uh, consume 5 million barrels of oil in a day. Uh, we have 60 million people going to a petrol bunk every day to fill up. And throughout this difficult period, and by difficult period, I don't mean just the pandemic. Pandemic in and of itself was difficult. Yeah. I mean, the price of oil went down, as far as I can remember, to $19 a barrel. Then it went up to 120 plus. Then you had the, uh, you know, Russian-Ukraine uh, factor. Now, the world is adjusting to all that. Now, what will a proposal mean? We will look at it very carefully. Who will be the participants? Uh, what will be the implications, etc. Today, our uh, 5 million barrels of oil, where does it come from? Well, it comes largely from Saudi Arabia, from uh, Abu Dhabi, from Kuwait. Iraq is actually our largest supplier. Yeah. And so we have 5 million barrels, each one of them a little less than 1 million barrels, you know, about 864. Thousand. Russia accounted, if memory serves me right, towards the end of the financial year, which ended 31 March 2022, 0.2%. That's all we had. Then when the thing started, so somebody said, India is buying a lot of oil from Russia. I said, the Europeans buy more in one afternoon than I do in a quarter. <laughs> I, I'd be surprised if that is not the condition still. But yes, we will buy from Russia. We'll buy from wherever. Yeah. A democratically elected government. If and you don't wants, have a moral conflict with the Russians no, we have, at we have, all. No, no, it's just question of no conflict. I have a moral duty to my consumer. Do you want? Do, you, yeah. do I, as a democratically elected government, want 
uh, a situation where the petrol bunk uh, runs dry. Look at what's happening in countries around but India. But they did invade a democratic well, well, that, so country. No, no, I, I'm not getting into that debate. Yeah. It's a question of energy. Energy, as far as I know, is not sanctioned. Okay. Energy, there is a encouragement, but there are so many other factors. Also, if we balance it, we buy 4 million from here, if we buy, I don't know how much we are buying from Russia, so we, we, we are realistic. And by the way, by the way, those who wanted to do that ideological punitive action, they're still buying. That was India's energy minister there speaking to me in an exclusive conversation here at GasTac in Milan and essentially saying that uh, when it comes to a moral responsibility, he has that for his consumers, uh, not to the West when it comes uh, to their pushback on Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And he also mentioned there um, that when it comes to Russian energy that they are purchasing, he said, listen, the Europeans are still purchasing way more than we do. And he pushed back a bit more um, throughout that conversation, Jeff, in terms of what his role he feels should be in these conversations. He said, we're going to look at all of these proposals. We're going to take them very, very seriously in terms of a price cap on Russian oil. But he said at the end of the day, we're talking about a situation where, you know, the energy market binding the world together. You know, we've got to have energy. And that's part of my job. I thought it was also interesting, a conversation I had um, with the former vice chancellor of Germany yesterday, Sigmar Gabriel. You were mentioning a little bit earlier in the program, Jeff, about uh, President Trump's famous, infamous visit uh, to NATO leaders. And we pushed back on them, pushed back on Angela Merkel specifically and said, listen, you know, why are we ponying up all the money on NATO spending when you guys are essentially putting yourselves in the pocket of Vladimir Putin when it comes to your energy security, because energy security equals national security. I brought that up to Sigmar Gabriel and I said, hey, listen, for the last 20 years, you were part of various governments that were making these decisions that put Germany in the hole. Don't you feel some kind of responsibility for that? But it seems as if um, we were speaking, we were speaking on two sides of a different coin. Jeff. Absolutely, Hadley. And, and well, let me pick up uh, the link that you've thrown me here and just uh, change it slightly because uh, the German Chancellor was actually one of the first to congratulate Liz Truss on her new appointment. Um, here in Downing Street, we're obviously waiting to hear outgoing Prime Minister Boris Johnson speak. Uh, and then, of course, he will head north, as will Liz Truss, and she will meet the Queen and then ultimately take up the role here in Downing Street of Prime Minister. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. So welcome back, everybody, to uh, Squawk Box. Uh, we're here in Downing Street as uh, we wait on a speech from outgoing Prime Minister Boris Johnson. I think that's expected to be delivered in about an hour's time. Um, we ultimately are going to see um, the choreography of, of Boris Johnson and Liz Truss heading to Balmoral. Liz Truss then will uh, formally become Prime Minister. Uh, just a few things to, to mention in passing. Olaf Scholz, the German Chancellor, was the first, as we've mentioned on the programme, to ultimately say that he welcomed uh, Liz Truss as the new Prime Minister. A um, number of other uh, world figures also coming out and offering her 
their support, including uh, uh, President Macron of France, hoping, I think, for uh, a little bit of an improvement in the relations with France. Um, the media, by and large, in Europe has been a little snippier. It is perhaps just worth mentioning Les Echos, who talked about Liz Truss as the um, iron weather vane, obviously alluding to uh, Margaret Thatcher's uh, status as the iron lady, but suggesting that Liz Truss is somewhat different, uh, given that she has been rather flexible or changeable in her politics. But let's just have a listen to Liz Truss as she got the job. I campaigned as a Conservative and I will govern as a Conservative. And my friends, we need to show that we will deliver over the next two years. I will deliver a bold plan to cut taxes and grow our economy. I will deliver on the energy crisis, dealing with people's energy bills, but also dealing with the long-term issues we have on energy supply. Now, we're already getting a, a shape, I think, of uh, what this cabinet will look like. There's been a, an awful lot of leaking, as there often is, to the British media. The suggestions are that Kwasi uh, Kwarteng uh, will be Chancellor, uh, Suella Braverman will be the Home Secretary, and James Cleverley, the Foreign Secretary. We already saw overnight Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, resign, as, as did uh, uh, Nadine Doris. And I think it will be uh, important to see who fills those key posts to get an understanding of just how free market minded this new Conservative government is going to be. And I think I don't want to spend too much time on the challenges because I, I, I think we all understand with inflation at a 40 year high and the pound sterling touching something like a 37 year low, there is a lot of international concern about the state of the UK economy. We also saw the BRC uh, retail survey suggesting a bit of a slowdown down in uh, sales activity through the month of August. So there is a deceleration going on of economic activity. Um, Liz Truss recognises that, which is why she's talked about turbocharging the economy with tax cuts. We'll have to see how that all boils down over the next few days or so. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.